Presented by the United States Sentencing Commission, this is Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast for federal sentencing practitioners covering topics of interest. Here is your host, Rachel Pierce. Hello, and welcome to Sentencing Practice Talk. I'm your host, Rachel Pierce, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Madsen. Hello, hello. Good to see you here. You as well. Uh, this is another installment in the series that we're working on as a follow-up to the 2019 National Seminar, um, analyzing the data from the clicker questions that we've asked, uh, looking at where folks are you know, struggling, um, trying to find teachable moments that we can uh, pass along, maybe as reinforcement for folks that were there. They can, you know, pull a podcast up and say, wait, I know I learned something, but what, wait, what was it that I that I struggled with? Right. Uh, or, or even for folks that didn't get a chance to attend the national program, uh, because I, it's fair to say that if, if a large or a significant percentage of folks were struggling with some of these issues at the national, you can extrapolate that across the country, that folks are having issues with these, these types of things. Very true. So your your breakout session that we're going to be discussing this morning is the, the relevant conduct in economic crime. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, what your approach to uh, covering this topic was, what exactly you covered, and sort of the feel of the session itself. Right. I think the session actually went quite well. There was only really one question that kind of posed a little bit of problem for most of the attendees, and that's the discussion or the issue of actual versus intended loss. Okay. And as you well know, this is the driving force to the, the guideline is the amount of levels will dictate uh, presumably a higher guideline range or a lower guideline range depending upon whether we're using the actual loss or the intended loss. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to point out that the guidelines specify that we take the greater of actual or intended. You don't get to pick or choose, well, I think I'll use the intended loss this time, or, you know, this time I'm going to use the actual loss. It's, it's actually the greater of, of either one of them. Right, right. And so did you talk about that concept? Did you just lecture or did you give them scenarios and say, what would you do in this situation? Right. We did a little bit of lecture too to come a little bit of background, like what is actual loss? And okay. The definition being the reasonably foreseeable pecuniary harm that result from the offense. And everybody's like, oh, what do all those big words mean? And we're basically <laughs> looking like, what is the monetary loss? You know, how much money was involved in this kind of situation? And then on the other side, we're looking at the intended loss. What did, or what pecuniary harm did the defendant purposefully seek to inflict? Um, and sometimes this actually includes uh, harm that might have been impossible or even unlikely to occur. So mm-hmm. if there's a government sting operation or uh, one of my cases I had in Minnesota before I came to the commission involved insurance fraud where they were trying to uh, claim higher than the value of the actual artwork itself. And uh, we took that intended loss because they certainly intended to seek a higher amount of uh, of money even than what the value of the artwork was, uh, was valued at. So now when you're talking about intended loss, that's basically asking the court to get into the mind of the defendant and say, what did this defendant intend to do? I mean, that can be tricky sometimes, right? I completely agree. That can be tricky because the, the guideline says it's what the defendant purposefully sought right. to inflict. And I think sometimes, uh, and rightfully so, a defendant might cash uh, a few checks for, say, $10,000, but he only withdraws $5,000. Mm-hmm. So was he intending to actually take out the full 10 or did he think, I'll deposit 10 and then I can take 50%. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the probation office, the government, and the defense counsel are probably going to have to work through in some of those case, type of cases. Oh, and I believe me, I've done my fair share of helpline calls <laughs> and fraud cases, and I always cringe because I'm just not 
well, first of all, I'm not very good at right. fraud offenses, but then there's all these discussions about what is loss and, exactly. you know, ad infinitum application notes on special rules and this, that, and the other. So there's a, I mean, this is a very complicated area. There is a whole sure. litany of uh, application notes and special rules. And I think it's also important to point out that the loss does not include uh, emotional distress, the harm to reputation or other non-economic harm. And it also doesn't include like finance charges, late fees, penalties, even amounts based upon agreed upon rate of return. I can't tell you how many Ponzi cases I have where there's like 10 or 15% promised rate of return. We get a victim impact statement back from the victim saying, well, my investment was 100000 but I was promised another 10 or 15%. So my loss is really that extra phantom interest, so to speak. And unfortunately, we can't include that for, for guideline purposes. So, so these non-pecuniary things that you're talking about, what do you do with that? Or what can you do with that? Right. I know based on my experience, it's certainly something that the court can take into account at sentencing. Um, right. If you have people that have, you know, lost education accounts, they've lost uh, all their investment, they've lost the equity in their house. Those are real world uh, harm that right. unfortunately is not measurable in the guidelines. But it's certainly that's something the court can take into account for an upward variance, upward departure, or maybe just a higher guideline sense to account for, you know, a thousand people that lost uh, all of their investment money. Sure, sure. That's a good idea. So why don't you uh, uh, maybe pull an example from sure. what, what you used in your session Sure, I got three with this actual intended thing? Sure. I got okay. three different examples, I okay. think. One of them I used, actually, in the training, and the other ones typically come up in uh, uh, helpline calls. You guys okay. probably heard that in some of these <laughs> other. It's a, we have a whole uh, arsenal of uh, helpline calls. We do. That... Uh, make it certainly more challenging at times. So yes. let's look at the first example, though, where we have a relatively common crime, a financial institution crime where a defendant deposits five counterfeit or stolen checks. Uh, those five checks total $110,000. Mm -hmm. Now, over the course of about a week or so, he successfully withdraws $40,000. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for him, he gets arrested after the $40,000. Now he's here before the court. And we have to look at what is the greater of the actual or intended loss. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at the actual loss, it seems pretty apparent he successfully withdrew $40,000. That's the actual loss to whether it's the bank or the victims whose accounts he, he overtook. But then the next question is, what is the intended loss? The short answer is it's $110,000. But I think sometimes there's some confusion. Do people take the $110,000 and subtract out the actual loss so there's another intended portion of 70? But in fact, you actually look at the whole amount. We have to look at what did the defendant purposefully seek to inflict? And based upon the information we had in this case, certainly had he not been arrested at the time, he would have gone back and taken the rest of the $70,000. So the intended loss is actually the full $110,000 that he I guess, attempted or certainly had planned to uh, withdraw from the account. Because that is a comparison, actual versus intended. Right. As opposed to, like you say, like a net right. loss in that in that example. Exactly. Um, okay. And then uh, point. there's another issue that comes up quite a bit, too, and certainly we see it now partially because of the dark web where Somebody can go on the dark web. I know the dark <laughs> web. It sounds bad. Well, guess what? It is. <laughs> That's why they go on the dark web. Yeah. No. Uh, people go there and uh, guess what? They can buy anything they want. But mm -hmm. a lot of times what they're buying are credit card numbers or access devices. 
And in the good old days, they would, you know, go to your mailbox, steal a credit card statement, and then ring up a whole bunch of charges on your credit card. Uh, but now uh, I can buy a thousand credit card numbers for, you know, $200 or $300. So now I'm on my way to Amazon, I'm going to Target, I'm going to Walmart. <laughs> and maybe I spend five or $10,000 on those credit cards. Now, if I have a thousand credit card numbers, we have a special rule that actually says the loss amount is not less than $500 per card. So we do a little bit of math, $500 per credit card or access device multiplied by uh, a thousand cards. Our intended loss is actually $500,000. And we don't get to add the actual loss to it. It's the greater of actual or intended. Right. So in that case, you have a lot of intended loss for uh, what somebody can do in a matter of minutes on the, on the dark web. So that's one of those special rules that I was mentioning earlier, right? That, that $500 per access device? Right, under 2B1.1, app note 3FI, where we talk about the mm -hmm. $500 per access device. So whether they use it for a dollar or they use it for something in between, uh, it's a minimum of $500 per or, access device. Or they don't use it at all. Correct. Right. They may not use it at all. In mm -hmm. fact, certainly when you have a thousand credit card numbers, I don't need to use them all. I can right. just use a couple of them and sure. you know, get my kid a new uh, a new car, remote control car. Yeah, I've had that question come up on yeah. the helpline too. I think it comes up fairly frequently. Sure. Um, the last thing I want to talk about are the a situation where actual loss actually exceeded the intended loss. And where we see that most often are in cases involving a 18 U.S.C. 1030 type offense. Now, these are fraud offenses involving computers, uh, access without authorization to computers, you know, where people are hacking into mm -hmm. different websites. Maybe they're hacking into a computer or a company's IT network. Or in the case of a real case where a disgruntled employee hacked into Georgia Pacific Corporation paper mill. Uh, he did this in Port Hudson, Louisiana. So the defendant who had worked there for many years, he was their IT administrator. He was fired. Um, but when he got back home, he attempted to get back into the system. And lo and behold, he was able to do that. They hadn't changed the passwords. Oh, wow. So he built the system. He knew how to operate the system. But what he did when he got control of the system was he simply shut down the paper mill. Okay. Um, so there was significant damage not only to the process of uh, the control systems, I guess you could say, but also the company was unable to produce paper towels. There was a, a whole litany of issues as a result of his hacking. Okay, so so basically his intent was, I'm disgruntled, yep. I'm going to show you, I'm going to shut your paper mill down. Right, and he did. And that's it. But, but what ended up happening is a whole ton of collateral consequences because of his actions. Exactly. So that's the whole idea that the actual loss was was even more than what maybe that defendant intended because he he was like um I'm just going to shut you down right exactly and I don't think he he probably didn't realize the ramifications of his harm yeah but the ramifications were 1.1 million dollars in damage now we have wow. another application note too in 2B 1.1 it's 3A V and then Roman numeral <laughs> three I know it's like dot 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 how are we going to get there right if you look under app note three you'll find it there at some point. But in these kind of cases, specifically 18 U.S.C. 1030 type cases, actual loss specifically says we include pecuniary harm regardless of whether that pecuniary harm was reasonably foreseeable or not. But it's any reasonable cost to any victim, which includes the cost of responding to an offense, conducting a damage assessment, and restoring the data, the program, the system, or information to its condition prior to the offense 
and this is the big one, and any revenue lost or cost incurred or any other damages incurred by the interruption of service. So right. certainly when they're not operational, they can't produce the paper towels. Right. So there's a certain amount of loss that's attributed to that. They had to hire additional people to come in to rebuild their systems right. to get everything back up online. And that, unfortunately, for the defendant was $1.1 million in loss. Was this a recent case? It happened, I believe, in 2014 or 2015, and he was sentenced maybe a year ago or so. I think he got 32 or 34 months in federal prison for that. Okay, because I kind of feel like we're hearing more and more about these, you know, hacking and shutting down computer systems and trying to shut down, like, the government and cities and stuff like that. That happens from time to time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you being here with us today discussing some of the takeaways from your economic crimes, relevant conduct breakout session. Uh, Really appreciate you being here. Hope to see you soon. I will see you around, Rachel. This wraps up our episode of Sentencing Practice Talk, today brought to you by the United States Sentencing Commission. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check back often for new topics. Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast on federal sentencing issues. Please be advised that information provided by the Commission staff is offered to assist in understanding and applying the sentencing guidelines. The information does not necessarily represent the official position of the Commission, should not be considered definitive, and is not binding upon the Commission, the Court, or the parties in any case.